Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Teaching Kindness, the Bullies Be Gone podcast, with yours truly, Nate Webb, the founder of Bullies Be Gone. Here on BBG, I go into all things kindness, bringing in guests and experts from all wakes of life. And we are all here for one reason and one reason only, to help you and your kids get over bullies, get off social media, and love your lives. So come on in and learn how to live in a world where kindness is king. I'm your host, Nate Webb. Let's get to it. What's up, everybody, and welcome back. It is great to be at BBG. Guys, I'm super excited for today's episode. Far too many people think in order to be successful in this world, you have to be mean, unkind, cutthroat, and I'm on a mission to show you just how important empathy is for our success. So wait till you see who I got here with us today. Bennett Maxwell is a skilled sales professional, has grown from selling candy bars in elementary school to a leading, thriving, cookie-selling franchise, Dirty Dough. Um, he champions inclusivity, authenticity, and self-acceptance, fostering a supportive environment for both personal and professional spheres. Bennett's dedication to breaking barriers in business and promoting mental health awareness has earned him recognition as a formidable force in the industry. Welcome, welcome to the show, man. Excited to have you. Thanks, man. What an intro, dude. I just shorten that sucker up. <laughs> not the wordiest I've ever done, believe it or not, man. Uh, this, this is awesome. So, okay, where are you coming at us from, man? How the heck you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm surviving. No, today, today's a, this morning has been better than, than the last two weeks. It's been, it's been rough lately in the entrepreneur freaking just the grind, but I I'm feel here. that. I feel that. I feel that. But you're here, man. But you're here. That's, that's something, right? We survived another day, <laughs> man. Okay. So tell us about how, how did you get into this business world? Like you always had that entrepreneurship bug in you, right? Selling candy bars in elementary school and whatnot. From the beginning, how how did you get in the space you're at now? Um, I, Cutco was kind of the first, what, what I thought was a real job. And yeah. it's right out of high school. And That's uh, knives, isn't it? It was nice, yeah. And like $2,000 for a set of knives. And I'm like 18 years old. Like, who the hell's going to buy these? Heck yeah. But they pay you $10 an hour or commissions, whichever were higher. So they pay you per appointment, basically. Um, I think I, I forgot what it was, but anyways, and uh, you, I quickly realized like I could kind of do the bare minimum and just make X, Y, Z, right? Or if I push a little bit harder and and get more referrals or refine my pitch, whatever, I can make more money. So wow. that kind of put the income on me. Then I got into summer sales, and yeah. uh, kind of same thing. I, I started with the installation. In installing security systems. Okay. What company? It was Protection One. Oh, wow. Wow. You got an OG, man. Okay. This was in 2015, uh, eight years ago. And I went out to Baltimore and started installing security systems. I wanted to do the sales, but my buddies wanted to do the install because it was, you know, more secure money. Right, 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 right. right. Less risk. Yourself to sell you uh, are still depending on the salespeople to sell or you can't install Right. So we weren't even barely working. We were just sitting around in a freaking mall parking lot for eight hours to get one job. <laughs> right. Big 80 bucks or something like that. But you spent 20 bucks on gas. So halfway through the summer, I made the switch. I drove from Baltimore down to uh, LA. It was a long wow. drive. And I started doing <laughs> pest control sales. And that was- Yay, what's up? I did pest control for eight years, dude. 
Oh, sweet. Who'd you do it with? It's Six Brothers Pest Control. It's tiny, tiny little company. Not right. nationally known. It's not like Aptiv or EcoShill or anything. Who did you sell with? Aptiv? It was Altera. Yeah, right before Altera. they Altera. Okay. So those are last year. Um, but I, I mean, it's kind of same thing with the Cutco. I can see that if I refine my sales pitch and I work harder, work smarter, I make more money. So even though I was working for somebody else, you know, you're a 1099 contractor, kind of gets you into that mentality of eat what you kill. So I did that for a few years. Well, pest control, some uh, satellite, uh, Vivint. And then I got into solar, did that for a summer, loved it, started a solar company, uh, which was just a sales organization. I was like, okay, well, I, I want to make the full margin on this deal. All I have to do is call some installers, negotiate some contracts, recruit some reps, you know, things like that. So that was the first business. And then I had the opportunity to buy, uh, invest into Dirty Dough. And then I ended up purchasing Dirty Dough, sold my solar company a few months after and uh, just jumped right in. Wow. Thinking, you know, I don't know anything about cookies, but I didn't know anything about sales when I got in. I didn't right. know anything about solar. Everything is learnable. So can I learn it? Can I figure it out? But that, that's yeah, awesome. That's kind of the Holy background. Smokes. So wh why did you buy this cookie company? I mean, you have all this sales experience, right? You've done lots of pest control. You did security. You did solar. You owned your own solar company. Why Why cookies? Um, The solar company, we had some employees, but most of them were 1099 contractors. And I just felt like I was always like kind of walking on the eggshells with the business. You know, you'd recruit a team of 10 guys and then you'd lose five guys. You right, know, right. And it, it just it wasn't in my mind, I couldn't see it being a national brand. It was good money, but it wasn't like a national brand. And I see these other cookie companies like a chip or a crumble. And I'm like, those guys are crushing it. Right. Those are really becoming national brands and really scalable. So um I saw that opportunity. And then the other thing, I just listened to a podcast that said true wealth is created by buying real estate and businesses. And I had maybe, you know, a handful of rental properties, but I didn't have never purchased a business. So mm -hmm. I kind of like, I'm just going to, I don't even remember what the podcast was, but I do remember that I just listened to it when the guy said he was willing to sell. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to try to buy a business and see what I can do with it. Um, and then the whole goal was how do I buy it? redo everything, make it the most simplistic model possible. And I think that we do have the most simplistic food franchise option out there right now. Right. Yeah. How, how is it simpler than like, I don't know, like if the, I mean, when, when people think of your gourmet cookies right here, especially here in Utah, crumble, like, you know, and chipped a little bit, but mostly crumble. How, did, how, how, how were you able to sim simplify that? and make it um, more efficient. All, all of these other models, you use a 40 quart mixer. Every single store has one. So you mix them like maybe 65 cookies at a time. You have to have all of the raw ingredients. Um, and you mess, I mean, you're hiring teenagers and they, they constantly mess up. You know, I, I, did you scoop the flour correctly or their air bubbles? Did you pack it too much? Did you mix it too long? Was the butter at 70 degrees when you put it in or 75 mm. degrees? The AC wasn't on as high that day. There's all these different variables. And it's just like, do you want to manage that? I don't want to manage that. So what we did is we took all of that out of the hands of our franchisees. We made all of our cookies in one facility. So it kind of starts with uh, purchasing. We buy truckloads of flour rather than 50 pound bags. So we're usually 20, 30% lower cost on our flour compared to like a crumble or chip franchise. You're like Costcoing it. You're just getting a butt ton of it up front. Yes. And then are you having like some chef professional dude slash machine make the cookies? Yes. 
Yeah. And okay. then, so you have dedicated people. That's all they do. You mix 4,000 cookies per batch rather than 65 cookies per batch. And then rather than hand weigh it and hand portion it, hand ball it, you know, roll it on the counter, you throw it through a machine. So your accuracy is through the roof. And then you get more unique products. Like we get the three layers cookies, the stuffed cookies. We do protein cookies, gluten-friendly wow. cookies. You pop, then, you pop a Murphy to it. All they do is all they do is bake it at the at the facilities, right? Yes. So now in your in your uh, bakery, you have an oven, and you can operate at less than a thousand square feet. You only need one employee. There's no more mixing. There's no more. Did you measure it correctly? Um, you just put it in the oven and press start. Like every cookie cooks from the same time, temperature, and fan speed. You put it in a box, give it to the customer. Even the decoration, you know, we don't do like all these fancy frostings, we just get drizzles that we also manufacture and you just go back and forth. Six zigzags, back and forth. If it's a swirl pattern, you do three swirls, you know, and it's just super, super simple for wow. anybody, anybody to, to go into a store, put something in the oven, put it in the box, you know, follow the directions, give it to the customer. Really hard for someone to screw that up. Yes. Man, so did you have any experience with like food stuff before buying this business? Or are you just like, you know what? Screw it. This is the first one that came. I'm buying you. I choose you. You're like, Yeah. A little, I, I worked in a shaved ice shack in high school during the summer. So that's kind of, you know, that's food, but, but no, no, I never, <laughs> I, never I, I mean, to this day, I've still never mixed a batch of dirty dough cookies. Um, as, and so, yeah, it was kind of the first opportunity that, that, that came my way. And I thought, again, what are other people doing that I can't learn? You know, whether it's a cookie business or an oil business or a trucking business, uh, I think it's, I mean, just go find people that have already done it and learn from them. Yeah. Uh, something that I found with a lot of like small businesses in different industries, their goal is to sell, right? Their goal is to build this franchise sucker up and then sell it to some big monster brand daddy out there that want that they're, they've been a thorn in their side for long enough and now they want to buy them and they're going to make a lot of money off of that. What I found was different with you is what with, with, with dirty dough, you guys are helping out the community too. Um, are, isn't it like moving forward right now for every franchise that you open, you want to open a mental wellness centers thing in each community that you establish a franchise in. Yes. And our first one just opened up. Monday of last week or two weeks no ago. No joke. Where? In Pleasant Grove. Pleasant Grove, oh, Junior. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So at what point did mental health become such a focus of your brand and your personal mission? Um, Kind of back up before I bought the company, I, I heard a podcast again, listen to the podcast and it showed a pretty scary statistic and it was 2010 to 2015. So 2010 young Young people don't have cell phones. 2015, they're on social media and they have cell phones. Right. And he's talking about anxiety and depression and mental health. And I'm like, I don't even, I don't even understand any of that. Right. Um, a lot of people say that the rise is due to just the society's comfort level. You know, it's right. like, oh, I'm okay to say I have an anxiety because everybody's got anxiety and that's accepted. And he goes, no, that, that's, that's not what's happening. And, and here's why. And he pulls up this graph and it shows uh, hospitalization rates due to self-harm. So people that are cutting themselves to the point that they have to go to the hospital. Right. And in girls, nine to 14, it went up 189%. Right. Just oh, crazy. Terrifying. Like, wait, three times more likely. My my daughters, you know, are three times more likely because I have two daughters. Uh, right. The hospital to do this. And I'm just like, freak, what do you do? And then when I sold my solar company, I kind of went through my own 
journey of, you know, work, 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 because I'm working for my family. I don't need to be with them at nights and, and weekends because I'm working for them. I got super heavy. I got, I got up to 310 pounds Woo. because it didn't matter. You know, I, I, I was doing it so I could enjoy life later. Once I sold the company, once I had residual income and rental properties and yada, yada, yada. I sold the company, felt great. And then I just kept working though. Like <laughs> next goal. So at that point I started seeing a therapist and I wanted to see what was going on. Why aren't my actions matching up with my beliefs? Yeah. And I kind of saw that I was going to be in that pattern for the rest of my life, unless I made wow. a change. It was about two years ago. Uh, so I kind of started going through that myself. And then I saw the opportunity with dirty dough, you know, how we're going to be different. The other cookie companies focus on what's on top of the cookie it's the Instagram effect. It has to look perfect, which I believe that's what's causing the mental health crisis or probably yeah. the biggest cause is these yeah. expectations versus reality. So how do you embody that in a product? Well, we focus on the inside of the cookie. It's all about the inside. The inside mm. matters most. I love that. Um, and, and then that became kind of the, the messaging of life doesn't need to look perfect for it to be enjoyed. And then I found out about these mental health wellness centers and it's like, okay, well, I want to help kids. I don't want to educate kids that, again, appearances and everything, right. um, even something that looks dirty and messy can still be enjoyed. So and then we started doing the mental health wellness centers and we partnered with uh, the Cook Center Foundation or the Cook Center. I don't know. If yeah, yeah. The Cook Foundation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They look they, they work with. Uh, oh, my gosh. Oh, I was just recently talking to someone there. Anyway. Yeah, they're awesome. They're amazing. So we partnered with them and we're going to do. Yeah, one mental health wellness center and per school or sorry, per franchise in the, in the local area. That is so cool, man. Oh, it makes me so happy too, because not many people are aware really of a lot of the dangers and a lot of the, the stuff, the, I don't know, the collateral damage, so to speak of social media, of the comparison culture that we find ourselves in. Um, I, myself, I, I have a, a speaking business where I speak at schools directly about this i go in and i give assemblies about the dangers of social media and bullying and recently i was at a press conference with governor cox um and they released the ad campaign that they're putting these ads all over social media and whatnot um but one of the statistics that the state found when they were doing the research was that about 60 percent of all girls who use social media feel worse about their bodies and about 70 percent of all girls on social media are contacted by a stranger about something sexual and like, and, and, and boys have scary statistics too, uh, but they're attacked in a different way. Obviously it's a lot more telling them who to, who to love, how to love a lot of pornography and stuff like that. Um, but it, it encourages me to see companies like yours that are trying to give back that they're trying to leave a legacy Instead of just focusing on the likes and the posts, the shares, all this stuff, they're trying to build something. They're trying to give back to the community. Now, Dirty Dough, you guys started a little war here in Utah. Tell me a little bit about that. I would not say we started it. <laughs> uh, I, said, I would say we fought back. There you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, we got we got sued before we even had a franchise open. Just over the biggest bunch of BS on the shape of our box and sprinkles and uh, because we use vanilla ice cream and we use whimsical designs. And then it, that didn't go crumbles way at all. Cause we kind of were like, you guys, this is silly. Uh, put up some billboards, kind of making fun of it. And then they had all these other claims. Okay. Now recipes, 
Not, uh, there's never been any accusation. They've been very careful with other wording. They're not saying any recipes. We never copied a crumble recipe, but we had access to leverage them. <laughs> and just a bunch of other like just BS terms. And here we are 14 months later and they're just still, they know they don't have a chance, but they just keep dragging everything out. How, but, do, you, how do you deal with that in the professional world when you're being bullied by a big old brand that is trying to shake you down for your lunch money. And like, how, 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 how do you stand up to that? Um, I mean, you just do, I guess. I <laughs> you just do. Okay. You punch you him in the do. nose. <laughs> you, you, you don't do anything or you fight back. Right. And, and right. we wanted to fight back and, and we made it, I, I wouldn't say we made it public. It was public. It got brought up in the news six weeks after the lawsuit. And then we responded publicly, but it wasn't like our plan to go public with it or anything. Right. Uh, but it was like, no, if, if you're going to sue us over BS, we're going to call you out on it. I so that. that was kind of the, but it's the same kind of fun, playful, you know, we put up billboards that said, cookie's so good, we're being sued, you know? So I was like, it's just taking a jab at them, but not telling them we hate you, right? But kind of being playful. Um, and then the public, you know, thought that was funny. And they also kind of rooted for us. And that really helped us, it got us on some national news channels that helped us sell, I mean, literally hundreds of franchises. Uh, so yeah i mean it re really our ability to kind of take take a stand definitely was rewarded um because people liked it and then people also looked into the lawsuit when they got serious about buying a franchise and most people when they buy a franchise they're you know buying a handful at a time investing over a million dollars and they're having attorneys look at the lawsuit and they're, they all know it was just bs so right. anyways it really helped us out wow that's so cool that something that was an attempt to shut you down ended up being something that kind of catapulted you and actually yeah. helped get your name out there. And how different would it have been if you would have returned blow for blow slinging mud instead of responding in a humorous way. And cause a lot of people think in order to stand up for myself, I have to be a, I have to be a freaking jerk about it too. You know, jerk for jerk mean for mean, yeah. but meekness is not weakness right? You can respond in strength and kindness still. And I love how you guys stood up for yourselves without being jerks about it. In your professional and personal life, I guess, how has focusing things around empathy and kindness changed the way you operate? Um, I mean, yeah, I just don't think that the, the jerk way really will ever work. I want people to like me. <laughs> So I can't be a jerk to them. Um, I don't know. I just feel like that's 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 the way to do it. If, if people like you, if they respect you, if you like them, if you respect them, and you also see, I mean, I think empathy is definitely su something super super important, which is something actually I told myself that I lacked and I didn't even have for years and years. I'm just like I could kind of understand people, maybe have sympathy, but I couldn't really feel for them mm. uh, until I started seeing the, you know, a therapist and doing some other things and kind of getting into that world. Um, but looking at people in a way of, they made the decision because based on the information that they had, right? Yeah. There's not there's not too many right and wrong decisions. There's just decisions. And, and to kind of look at it from that point of view, uh, whether it's an employee or a competitor or uh, an attorney, and it's just like, they're, they're just doing what they feel is best. I don't feel like that's best. I feel like they're an idiot, but... <laughs> They don't feel like that. So I have to kind of put myself in their shoes and uh, try to understand them and, and empathize with them. I love that.
I love that a lot. Were there was there a pivotal moment? Because when you're talking about your, you know, your, you know, a few years ago, and you know, your your days of just the grind, right? All the time, all the time, all the time, twenty four seven, work, 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 work. I think a lot of us entrepreneurs find ourselves in that grind. A lot of us adults find ourselves in that grind. Was there any pivotal moments where you're like, this doesn't matter, like? There's other stuff that matters besides just meetings on meetings on meetings. Yeah. Um, so, so one was the thing with, with the uh, selling the solar company. I just realized that I didn't find what gave me joy and fulfillment, but I found what did it. And it was having money in your bank account, right? It was like, cool, dopamine hit. Well, that fades after a few hours, a few days, maybe a week, right? And you're just like, just like a new car or a new house. Like, it's cool, maybe for a month. Um, but it's what are the lasting things? And so one of the things I, I had to kind of dive into is what am I about? What is the legacy I want to be leave behind? What is my mission statement? What are my core values? And I read books. I sent out texts. I made spreadsheets about responses to see you know, how things were, were rated. I wrote my own obituary. Like, what do I want to be remembered by? Wow. Um, what was and- that like? Writing your own obituary? So the the top thing that when I texted me, I got maybe 20 responses between close friends and family. Hey, I'm doing, you know, I'm trying to figure out my core values. I want to ask you what you feel like my top three to five core values are and go into as much, you know, the more detail, the better. And then I built a spreadsheet. And the number one thing that I was rated for was hard work. When I went to my obituary activity, I didn't care if people remembered me by hard work. So that didn't make it on the list, right? I kind of had to do both steps. And I figured, well, there's a lot of hard workers out there that right. do terrible things. Like yeah. if, if you get any, any mass murder or genocide, right. Or right. Hitler was a damn hard worker, guys. That kind of, it kind of puts it more just for perspective of like, okay, when I'm dead, what do I want to be known by? Right. right. Let me focus on that right now. So I feel like that was super good, I guess. And, and I, like, what am I here for? It's it's not about the money. Nobody's here about the money. Nobody's here about the status. Nobody. It's what does the money get you? Well, the money gets me status. Well, what does the status get you? Well, the status gets me to feel good. Well, what is that good feeling? Well, it's it's joy or happiness. And it's like, okay, well, can you just find joy or happiness without the money that equals right. the car, that equals the status? Can you, can you find it somewhere else, right? And really defining what that target is. So I define my target as joy and fulfillment. Mm-hmm. I want to be happy, but I also want to be fulfilled. It's not just feeling good every day. It's also feeling progression and accomplishment. So that was kind of the, the mission statement that I developed. And I threw in despite life's dirtiness. So to find joy and fulfillment, despite life's dirtiness, it's a fun play on words, right? But it's also real. You can't wait for life to be perfect to find right. the joy. It has to be found along the way. Um, so anyways, yeah, I created the mission statement and then had my company adopt that mission statement, same with the core values and built it off of there. And what I found was it is my family and it is spending time with family and friends and loved ones. And it's those relationships. So do I need to work nights and weekends to have millions of dollars so I can go on vacations and be with my family to find joy and fulfillment and happiness? Or can I just choose to be with my family every day after 5 p.m.? Right. And, and that's what that cycle kind of that I broke when I sold the solar company, because I, I, I did that whole little loop. And I'm like, wait. I could just kind of shortcut it and I, I can have it every day or at least right. most days. Wow. That's, that's big. Cause a lot of people, I mean, you know, they, they rationalize like, you know, 
I'm working my butt off and there's a bajillion promotions and graduations and crap. So like, you know, what's the big deal if I, you know, don't go to a, a first grade promotion, right? Like they're, they're first grade, right? They're, we're going to give a million of these, but like, it does matter. Those little things you get with your family, you don't get that crap back. So I had, um, and my, and my wife's very super, super supportive and, and kind of holds me accountable as well. So this happened, I don't know, whatever the graduation was, was this in May? My daughter had a kindergarten graduation and, and, and we share a calendar, my wife and I, and everything has to be on the calendar. Right. Well, I, I booked a, a trip to Vegas and I only go for a day. Like I fly in the morning, fly back in the evening. And, and this Vegas trip, you know, I had a, quite a few meetings uh, uh, lined up. One with the Legion Stadium because we were going to get our cookies into the Legion Stadium. One with the guy that's like the top KFC franchisee, you know, it's like 150 plus K- KFCs, another big influencer down there. And I had five meetings lined up. And then I see on my calendar, Mia's, my daughter, Mia's kindergarten graduation. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, it's too late. I already have the meetings. I already have the trip booked, everything. And so I told my daughter, I'm like, hey, we can do something before. We could do something after. But like, I didn't see this on the calendar and it's already booked. And my daughter's like, okay, whatever. Um, and then my my wife later that night, she goes, she's only going to graduate once. She's only going to graduate kindergarten once. And I'm like, all right. And I canceled everything. And, I'm, and, and I rebooked the trip for the following week of the five meetings. I was able to reschedule four of them and nobody cared. And I told them the truth. I texted them. I said, hey, I'm sorry, I can't make it. I didn't realize this was my daughter's kindergarten graduation and everybody was like super respectful like yeah we don't expect you to come um but like looking back three months ago I wouldn't have told you I'm proud that I missed it but I am telling you that I'm proud that I didn't miss it right and it's it's just kind of that 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 mindset mindset shift and I would have missed it if my wife didn't you know kind of remind me yeah to put that uh priority first yeah so many of us need that reminder of what really matters right the at the end of the day how are we how are we leaving our imprint on the world what will we what will we be remembered by and none of us are going to give two hoots about the likes and shares and crap we get on social media we are going to care about if our kids felt like we loved them exactly. we are going to care a lot about that and seeing people lead with that mindset i think we see a lot more success with that um i love surrounding my myself and and filling myself with content around people like you and like our buddy Shay and Gary V and like people that are, you know, promote happiness is the return on investment. Happiness is the ROI. Um, man, well, thank you so much, man. This has been such an amazing conversation. Um, how can people see what you are doing right now? Shameless plug time. Let's hear it. Social media. I try to take clips from podcasts like these and throw them on there every day. Um, but yeah, at LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, but Bennett Maxwell, my first and last name.com kind of has links to all of that, as well as our website. If there's any uh, interest in exploring what we're doing on the dirty dough side. There you go. So that'll be in the podcast description. So go check him out. He's flipping awesome. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Teaching Kindness for your daily dose of positivity. Make sure to go follow me at bulliesbe.gon. If you'd like me to come speak at your community, fill out the speaker form linked in the description below. And always remember, you are wonderful. You are worthy. You are worth it. Go home and give your kids an eight-second hug, and we'll see you on the next one.